very simple tonight. And uh, I've noticed that anytime we give out notes with lines and things like that, people will come back and say, well, I was so busy filling in that I wasn't paying attention. And so uh, uh, when I leave it blank, you can write down what you want and uh, at your own pace. And, so, and if you don't like it, you can go back and listen to it later. So uh, Revelation chapter 17. Uh, I want to start by uh, uh, thanking you for allowing me to be gone last week. I want to uh, thank Brother Dennis Reed for uh, filling in last week. did a wonderful job from everyone that has told me that. And so I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Uh, Revelation chapter 17, um, as we have been talking about, I believe is an explanation of why the judgment of God has fallen. We've seen those judgments in chapter 16. And so we get an explanation for why the judgment has happened. And you say, well, Jake, how do you know that's what it's about? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on the many waters. And so really when you look that up, it is saying, well, I'm going to explain something to you. If you can think about your own children, sit down and listen while I explain why. Or if you've ever had little children, you've probably had them ask the question, why? Because I said so. Why? Because I said so. Um, and so we get this understanding of all of these things are going to transpire, and this is why. And tonight we're only going to look at the first six verses because. I think anytime we have been studying through the book of Revelation, we have tried to the best of our ability, to the best of my ability, to show you why this ties into something else. And so tonight we're really going to look at this passage of Scripture, but I also want to take you back um, to the book of Genesis um, and look at the Tower of Babel. Now you say, Jake, is it Babel or Babel? Depends who you ask and what part of the world you're in. And so you can say whatever you want. And because that's really where we see the beginning of this Babylon and why it is such a tied-in event and what it looks like from a biblical standpoint. Because as we search the scripture, um, we want to find out what God's word says and how it relates to each other. And to really let scripture explain Scripture, Because if you notice anything about the Bible studies or commentaries, uh, if you look through this chapter, you will be able to find dozens of different opinions, different thoughts, if not more. And so we're just going to go very slow. And uh, if I can't answer a question, which guess what? Happens. Uh, we'll write it down and we'll try to research it and come back. And so if you would, pray with me tonight. Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege of just having your word, of being able to open it, Lord, of being able to just gather together for fellowship. And Lord, we pray tonight that you would help us to encourage one another during our times of fellowship. Lord, I also pray tonight that you give us wisdom, Lord, that your spirit would reveal truth. And Lord, give us humble hearts to know that none of us have all the answers. And Lord, we're just thankful that you have given us your word and that it never returns void. And so, Lord, help us to trust it, to believe in it, and, Lord, just be reminded that it should motivate us to remember what is coming and the love that we should have for you in a lost and dying world. 
And so, Lord, we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so if you've got those verses there, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 and then begin to unpack it. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornications. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now the Bible multiple times references a group of people or a person or an entity as a woman in the Bible. If you remember in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, Israel is referred to as the woman. If you read chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, you will see reference to the bride of Christ. And so here we see this woman, uh, this harlot, and um, it is showing a false religion, a, a world religion that is pagan. And uh, depending on how you were raised or where you were raised, this has been taught everything from the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it has been taught to something that is going to, in the future, take the place of the Roman Catholic Church, a combination of, of different religions that we have sometimes seen dabbled with when you see someone like the Pope or someone in the head of Islam or someone from... Uh, Hinduism trying to get together to morph a religion together. But when we look at this, it's very important here. When we see in verse 1, when it talks about where she sits, it says she sits on many waters. This is an idea that we've seen in the later part of this chapter to really encompass the world. So regardless of what continent, regardless of what language, regardless of what people group, this religion is going to influence. This way of thinking is going to permeate the world. And it's very important because when we look at this, we see the woman, but also in that birth, we see the kings of the earth. And so while we see a religious power, a religious spreading, we also see a secular government of some kind, a world government of some kind that has partnered with this religion to accomplish the work of the Antichrist. But it also goes on and says a third group, the inhabitants of the earth. And so we see three distinct individual or individual groups. And that's very important tonight because we see a world religion, we see world government, and we see the people of the world. And when we see this here, it is important because we see were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. 
Now, it's very important when we see words like that in the, this book of Revelation, we know what the Bible calls sexual sin. We know it talks about, um, you know, premarital sex. It talks about uh, adultery. It talks about homosexuality, any sexual perversion. But also the Bible talks about fornication sometimes in the spiritual sense. If you remember the story of Gomer, um, as he was told, Hosea was told to marry her and to go get her, and that that was a picture of Israel's spiritual adultery. And really, that's probably the best way to look at this chapter, is not just the sexual sin of this world religion, which I believe it will be very much a part of that, but it is the idea that this is not the true Church It's not a true religion. It's like Israel when they wandered in the Old Testament. It is something that is going to be focused on idols, on false worship, and false god. And what it says here is they will be drunk with it. I believe that is because this is one of the main ways that the Antichrist is going to come to power in that first three and a half year period of the tribulation by bringing this worldwide peace, this false peace, right? The, the world's governments are on board with it. The world religion is on board with it. And so everybody is just fascinated, right? World peace, world peace, world prosperity. All of these things that we know is going to change at that three and a half year period, but yet it's this idea of they are just infatuated with it. They are controlled with it. And if you've ever seen a drunk person, all right, I know you've never been drunk. I, I know how wonderful you are, are, but if you've ever seen a person that is intoxicated, their way of thinking changes, doesn't it? Uh, their obsession with things can be changed, right? There are, are decisions they would make that they would never make sober, but yet when that begins to happen, right, um, things begin to change, right? Ideas that are not very smart become smart or uh, individuals of the opposite sex who they would not be necessarily attracted to sober begin to look better intoxicated. And, and this idea of altering your mind to want something that you really shouldn't want. And you should see some of you have are given away that you've not just seen drunk people. But anyway, um, I'm sorry if that's too crude, but that's the only way I know to explain it, this idea that it has become the obsession, the focus, the influencer of the world. And it's important because as it goes on, and we're just going to go really quick through this, and then we'll have questions and jump back to um, the book of Genesis. And so he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy. So we see this idea of it being spiritual infidelity, not physical infidelity. Having seven heads and ten horns. Now, there are a few different views on the seven heads and ten horns. Some people believe the seven heads represents the seven hills that the city of Rome is built upon. And so for the early reader of this book, the evil that would have been facing them would have not been the Roman Catholic Church, but it would have been the Roman Empire. And so you have seen so many times in Bible prophecy that whatever this coalition looks like, whether it's secular, whether it's religious, that it is going to be very much influenced by what is going on in Rome. But I also want you to see here that in these verses, 
it can also look to talk about the simple fact that there have been different empires, there have been different emperors that they have tied this to, and yet ultimately what we need to know is it goes on and kind of explains it to us as this unfolds. Because, and we won't look at this um, tonight, but we'll look at it later. If you go down in verse 7, right, we see the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. And so, again, we see this idea, and we're going to find out, that the ten kings are representative of world governments, right? And so, this is where you get this blending together of a false, pagan, idolatrous religion and the secular world government coming together. What I believe is this. You can disagree with me, and it will not bother me at all, all right? I believe that Islam is going to play a humongous role from the secular side. I believe with its uh, desire to come from the Middle East, the former area of where Babylon was and the ruins are today, I believe you see a faith that kills people who does not convert when they are in power. I think that you do see somehow a, a blending of that with the Western world religions, whether it is the Roman Catholic Church and what that looks like in the future, or is it something totally different that's based out of that area, but yet you see these two coming together to be used by the Antichrist to take control of the world. And so questions. Isn't that the unholy marriage of church and state? It absolutely would be. Absolutely. I mean, that's the, the, the church of what was called the church at that time has been united for the power that it had. Absolutely. Absolutely. Marriage was absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and if, you know, not that you a gate setter because you can't do that, but I mean, the, the Roman Catholic Church right now very right to that with the current Pope. Mm -hmm. Some of the, uh, the decrees that he made have you know, been very unholy. Absolutely. Do I see a hand? Yes. I saw a program, it's been a while back in France, they made an argument that the, the Babylon, a lot of people thought it was New York City, but his argument was that it was uh, Mecca. Mm -hmm. And for Islam, where they go around that black cube and concentric circle, you know, yeah. millions of them, and they go every year, and they have to go or once, once in their lifetime. Yeah, they go. And inside that cube, there's, it's all blocked off except this one little hole. Yeah, so there, like I said, there is no shortage of thoughts. But what I want to do is to take you back to Genesis chapter 9, because what it says there in this verse about on her, written on her forehead, it says, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of abominations on the earth. So what it's teaching us here is this is the beginning of something. And everything that has flowed into the world under those two categories really had a start and a place, and it was Babylon. 
And so we can look at this in a couple different ways, all right? Why was the Tower of Babel, Babel, we'll just say it however you're comfortable tonight, such a big deal to tie this back to? Well, in Genesis chapter 9, you don't have these verses, that's why we bring our Bible or our phone. As you know, Genesis chapter 6, um, very, very familiar <laughs> uh, passage of Scripture. Um, and uh, the wickedness of the world, Noah pleases God. We know in chapter 7, uh, there's a worldwide event. The flood. The flood, thank you very much. Uh, and yes, I believe it was a worldwide flood, just like the Bible describes it. I don't believe it was figurative. I don't believe it was imaginative. I believe that's why so many pagan religions have the story or a version of the flood. It is because everyone that has been descendant, has been a descendant of Noah's children and Noah, and they heard the real story. And it's kind of like the game of telephone. As you pass it down and pass it down and pass it down, it gets changed and corrupted. But in chapter 9, starting in verse 1, this is very important. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. But don't miss the next four words. And fill the earth. Now, you say, well, okay, that is all about multiplication, having more kids. Yes, but why would God say the same thing? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Most Bible scholars believe that that term fulfill means to disperse, to spread, to go. And that Noah's children would have been given certain areas to go to and to why repopulate the earth now we don't know what all of the geographic was before the flood but we know what it's like after the flood right and so if your bible has a map you'll probably have a map in there of where different offsprings of noah dispersed to and the reason the tower of babel uh, was such a big deal is in verse 3 and verse 2 of chapter 11. We'll just read verses 1 through 3 for the sake of it. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Jake, do you really believe everybody talked the same way, same language? Absolutely. You say, why do you believe that? Because the Bible says so. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. So as they are beginning to fulfill God's message to go, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now you say, I don't understand why it's a problem to stop. Because God told them to what? To go. Right? To go. And so why is it a big deal when Christians stop taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth? Because God said, go. All right. And they dwelt there. So they didn't just stop. They didn't just rest. They made residence. They said, we're not going. This is a good place. It's a fertile place. This is where we want to be. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad above the face 
of the whole earth. So where is the problem here? Well, the first, I think we don't understand, is the simple fact that it's trying to get above God's judgment. You say, what do you mean by that? Hopefully you know that they were not trying to build a tower so tall that it would go into the atmosphere and they could actually find heaven. All right? What they were trying to do, and what I believe is this. What had just happened, let's say it's taken them two decades to scatter, right? Noah has to plant a vineyard. It takes a few years for the vineyard to produce, whatever. Let's say it's 10 years, 5 years, 20 years. It doesn't matter. What was the worldwide event that would cause you to not want to stay on the ground if you're getting ready to disobey God? The flood. And so if the flood died, do what? You would try to power, chooses to judge you again, that he what? That he can't. Now, I don't want you to miss that because the city itself is to disobey God because they weren't supposed to stop. They knew they were not supposed to stop and so they thought if God is going to judge us, if he chooses the same method, which you say, but he promised not to flood the whole earth. You're right. But he never not didn't promise to flood one fertile ground between two rivers. And so we see, one, their disobedience to God, but two, their hardness to not believe that God could judge them. And when we've went through the book of Revelation, what has been the number one thing that the wicked have thought, right? We're above God's judgment. We've hardened our hearts to the things of God. We're not going to listen to the Lord. We're not going to repent, right? This attitude of rebellion. And actually the man who ran the kingdom, Nimrod, in the generations of it and after its name means rebel. And so what I believe happens is this group of people has heard from God. They know what God wants. They get to a place and say, we don't want to do what God has told us to do. And all of us have been there as a Christian. But there is a difference when you are struggling with sin to when you tell God there is nothing you can do about it. You say, Jake, there's no New Testament examples of that. Yes, there is. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talking about the Lord's Supper, what is it that Paul writes? Right, if you take it in an unworthy manner. That doesn't just mean that you and your wife fought on the way to church, all right? It means if there is unrepentant sin in your life that you know that the Lord is dealing with you about, but you have said, I'm good. I'm going to take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to go through this event and nothing God can do to me. All right? What does the Bible say has happened, according to the Apostle Paul, to people who have taken it in an unworthy manner? Some have fallen away and died, fallen asleep, and some are sick. Some of the illnesses and sicknesses in the congregation are because of this attitude. And so we see this going all the way back, even before the flood, but we're just talking about why. Babylon, this place, this idea of rebellion and wickedness and wanting to place ourselves on the place of worship and not God. But it explains that. It says, let's blame ourselves. We want to be the focus. We want to be the object of worship. We want to be the ones who are right, no matter what God says. And if you've ever read Romans chapter 1, 
and looked at the depravity that is described in that right at the very end of Romans chapter 1, and you're welcome to flip over there with me. Um, This wasn't going to be in there, but uh, as we go through it, we might as well just offend everybody. And so, uh, uh, no fear here, right? But in Romans chapter 1, it starts talking about those who practice, if you remember, and those who, man, my fingers are too fat. Um, about those who practice such thing. But look what it goes down in verse 32, if you remember. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such things are deserving of death. So the judgment of God. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so he says, not only is it dangerous to be doing the sin, it's just as dangerous to be telling those doing the sin that they can do it and be right with God. And that's what we see here. And so all of the sin and the struggles that we see in today's world that you're going to see in the time of tribulation all start back to this incident in Genesis chapter 11. Now, this is the beginning, right? But he's tying it together because why? It is a period of great judgment. It is a period that is, has brought new opportunity. And so if you think about the tribulation period, it is a time of great judgment. But for the Jewish people, it is a great opportunity, right? Because they have been brought back Romans 11 is being fulfilled. And so one, that they wouldn't go. Two, they thought they were above the judgment of God. Third, name for themselves that not only what their was but that it was good. Don't miss that. So we're doing these because this is what we don't want to happen. So we're doing all this because we don't want to do what? Let's scatter over the of the whole earth. We don't want to scatter. We don't want to split. We don't want to go. We don't want God to be able to make us go. So we will do whatever we can on our end to avoid the judgment of God. And when you look at the church in Revelation chapter 17, what you have is the same thing. You have a church, you have a world religion that doesn't want to give Christ his due. Right? I personally believe the rapture has already happened. The church is gone. God is working in the Jewish people. God is dealing with the Jewish Nathan. And so what we see here is the majority of the church, the Gentile church, is gone. You have the 144,000 evangelists. You have the two witnesses. You have the Jewish people returning to Christ. But yet there is this pagan worship, this pagan religion that the rest of the world follows. And why does it follow it? Well, it gives us some examples here in verse 4. Looking at or of this woman, excuse me, not the real church. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. If you know anything about this, it was a sign of wealth. It was a sign of royalty. It was a sign of 
prestige. As Bill said, it's a marriage between church and state. It is one that lets you become extremely wealthy and prosperous. Now, I think this happens for one ultimate reason, but you can disagree with me. What happens to all of the assets for all of the believers who have been taken in the rapture? They're just going to leave it alone, right? I mean, think about some of your bank accounts. And hopefully if your children and grandchildren are believers and you're gone and there's no one to claim it and you have no one designated as a beneficiary, the government, the church, the false pagan church. And so if you think about the trillions of dollars that baby boomers have according to the studies, now I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean against baby boomers, but you just look at the numbers. Even if it's passed down a generation or if the Lord tarries two generations, if there's no one to claim it, they claim it. And so I believe that wealth will be used to prop up the pagan church. Not only does pagan churches have plenty of money now, but you take that and the government and all of the assets, land, property. I mean, just imagine if Bill Gates gets saved, how much property he'll be leaving them, right? That guy's confiscated all kinds of acres, and he's a heathen. But just think about that, the wealth and the prestige. Remember, if you haven't taken the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy and sell. And so here is a worldwide religion, a worldwide church that's prosperous, that's financially well, that's all of these things, but all you have to do is follow, is follow, is submit is to worship the way they want you to worship. But not just that, it goes on and it even adds to that. And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. It's again just giving us this idea of extreme wealth and prosperity. Having to go up. Now that would once again bring us to the idea of this is one wealthy person. I mean, we're drinking out of styrofoam, they're drinking out of gold. All right, and so if you're John and you're seeing this, it is everything to tell you that this is wealth, it's royalty, it's prestige, it's all of these things that an earthly person would want. That's why the Bible tells us the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the only evil, and the love of money, it doesn't say it's the only evil, it just says it leads to many other evils, right? Covetous. Theft, greed, you know, all of those things that ha wanting more causes. And so it's giving us this idea from a worldly standpoint, it has everything that you would want it to have. But look what's in the cup. Full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Friends, I am not a Baptist because I just want to be a Baptist, all right? The reason I am a Baptist is the commitment to the Word of God. That's why. And when a denomination says, or a church says, I do not believe the Word of God is infallible and inerrant. That means it's God-breathed and it's without error. I don't care what your name on the door is, I want nothing to do with you. Because the only thing that the church has as the foundation to keep it from turning into an apostate church is one, the Spirit of God, using what? The Word of God. 
Right, I was listening to a preacher this week, and he said uh, the congregation asked him a question. What authority do you have the life of your people? He said, none. He said, I have no authority in the church. I have no authority in my denomination. The only authority that is is the word of God. And if the word of God says something, that's what we can do. If the word of God says something, that's the authority that we have. But no one has authority just because of a title. It's not the pastor's church, it's not the deacon's church, it's not the trustee's church, it's not the, the above-water basket weaving, since some people don't like underwater basket weaving, apparently. It's not yours, it's mine. The only authority this church has is the fact that Christ is the head of the church. Uh, ultimate, that's it. And he chooses to operate through his word and through his spirit. And what this church does in the book of Revelation is it says, we are going to do the things that God's word says we shouldn't. We're going to set up false idols. We're going to set up false sacrifices. We're going to set up false worship. We're going to do all of these things. And friends, that's what's so dangerous. Thoughts, questions? This is one of the things that's actually a current deal right now with Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like he, he has been a very solid preacher. Yeah. He gave advice to a grandmother about going to a uh, homosexual wedding. Absolutely. He gave, it was a blessing for her to do so. That was heartbreaking. Alistair yeah. Begg has always well, been one of my favorite preachers. Yeah. 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 And so we have to be on guard. That's why the preacher at 10 Mile always tells you to take notes, right? Because you need to check it out. You need to verify it. You need to research it. You need to study it. Because false teachers usually don't come to you with a neck bracelet on that says, false teacher. They don't come with a t-shirt that says, worshiper of Satan tricked you, right? The Bible says that Satan appears as an angel of light. And you say, well, it's your job to guard us. I, my job is to guard myself and to preach the word. But your job is to be the spiritual leader, husbands of your family. You're supposed to be checking the word of God, studying the word of God, leading based on the word of God. Yes, I am going to do everything in my power through the leadership of the spirit to preach the word to you. But I am not infallible. I am not above selfishness. That's why I think a church should go verse by verse, word by word, because it keeps a preacher from picking out the verses that he likes and then missing the ones that he doesn't. But it's still not a foolproof plan. And so you need to be prepared. Know what you believe, why you believe, who you worship. That's why I believe when God told Paul to write the qualifications of a pastor, they were not suggestions. Okay, some of you don't agree with that. That's okay. It doesn't matter. You're wrong. They were guidelines, and they should be followed. Followed. The husband of one wife, above reproach, all of the list. You say, well, good thing I'm not a pastor. You know, he went on and listed another group too. See, anybody know what group that was? Deacons and their wives, or women deacons for those that are liberal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway. 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's still a couple more groups to offend I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a difference, and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a back-breaking issue. Okay. I'm just, just being funny. But anyway, the qualifications are there because why? A pastor. We have got wonderful men that would be wonderful deacons in this church, but their women, our wives, are nuts. And we've got some deacons' wives, but their husbands are nuts. All right? Because why? It's a package deal. Because why? The deacons are ministering to families and people and caring for them, and so it's a team. You need both of them. And so it's so important that that's the guideline. Why is it that we have a mission statement for our church? And why do we do the things we do? Hopefully it's based upon what? The Word of God. And because we are always at risk of being pulled astray. We are always at risk. Because why? Tim Lee said it. Satan never stops. He never looks at 10 miles and says, well, you're 204 years old. You're beyond temptation. You've made it 200 plus years. Nothing bad can happen. Or he's never looked at a 95-year-old Christian and said, well, you've made it. I'm going to leave you alone. No. He attacks differently. And so tonight when we look at this, I just want to, to encourage you, all joking aside, to see the seriousness of it. To see the danger of it. But yet when we... Go ahead. Someone say something. Okay, I'm losing my mind. So go back to Genesis chapter 11 with me because I want to go ahead and read this to you and look on down the list. Because what we see here is in verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language. Now don't miss this. God reaffirms reaffirms this simple biblical truth. And this is what they begin to do. So he says, this should have been a good thing, but they've made it a bad thing. All right? Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore the name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, we see here now that every problem the world has from communication issues, from racial issues, from uh, one group of people that looks different than another, viewing themselves better than the others, all comes because of this. Why? Because as they scatter, right, we know that DNA that does not ever change totally, but the different strengths in your uh, pigment and eye color and hair color over generations of multiplying, um, that happens. And so you see a, a person in Africa um, that's darker in complexion than you is still all of one race. You see a person from Greenland that's a lot more white than you, uh, lighter pigment than you, is still one 
race. And so we see this. And so there's no one language above other. There's no one culture above the other. There's no one pigment of people, color, over the other. All of because accomplished his purposes even when man sinned. And when you think about that and you flip back to the book of Revelation with me tonight, even though the world in this time, this organization has abandoned God, has ran from God, it is still fulfilling the purpose of God. And you say, well, Jake, how do you know that? Well, if you want to flip down to verse 17 of chapter 17. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose. To be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And even though... This period of the tribulation is horrific. It is sinful. It is wicked. It is unlike anything the world has or will ever see again afterwards. It's God's purpose. And I believe that first purpose is to bring the Jew back to Him. Two, it is to punish the wickedness of the world. Right? If you notice there in verse 17, did you notice that it said of one mind, the world has not been united on anything since when? Genesis chapter 11. They were of one mind and one purpose to build this tower to avoid the judgment of God. And ever since then, there's been different kingdoms, different movements, different things, different goals, different ideas, different purposes. But in that last time, God's going to say, all right, I'm going to bring you all back together so that you can try to accomplish your purposes and plans of wickedness, but you will not prevail. Because why? We go through chapter 17 and 18, and in chapter 19, what happens? Jesus destroys his enemies. And so tonight, I really want to encourage you and uh, really think about this, that God always sees our sin. Always. doesn't matter if it's private. doesn't matter if it's in our heart. It doesn't matter. God always sees it. Two, there is no way to get around the righteous judgment of God without repentance. Without repentance. You say, well, Jake, I'm sorry for my sin. That's not repentance. You say, I feel bad about my sin. That's not repentance. Repentance is turning from your sin, when you had the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, turning from it to Christ. That means if I'm a liar, the Spirit convicts me, I'm turning from that to Christ if I'm a Christian. If I'm struggling with fear or pride or lust or careless words, as you know I struggle with quite a lot, it is a repentance and a turning to Christ. It's not just turning from it, right? Alcohol is anonymous. It can help you turn from alcohol. But that doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. Right? A couple who's living together in sin can get married, but that still doesn't mean they've repented from the sin of premarital sex. Right? Repentance is the key. And so we can't avoid the judgment of God. There has to be repentance. 
But we also have to know something. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives, just like he had a purpose and a plan for here. Just like he had a purpose and a plan for all of the earth to be filled. God has a purpose and a plan for us. And tonight I ask you, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in a real relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Are you worshiping Him in spirit and in truth? Or is there something else? Adrian Rogers says it, and lots of other preachers have said it, Christianity is best described as a relationship first. And friends, if you're trusting in religion, if you're trusting in this church, if you're trusting in your baptism, if you're trusting in the Lord's Supper, if you're trusting in your whatever you've got, it is not the truth. It's Jesus. And so tonight, I pray that when you leave here, you can say, I know that I've been born again. I know I'm a part of the family of God. I know in whom I put my hope and trust. Friends, because if not... You're following something that might sparkle. It might glitter. It might look good. But just like this church, the harlot, false church, it's just full of wickedness. So, questions, thoughts? As always, forgive me for my humor. It's never good. Anything else? Like I said. And there's a lot more you can study about the Tower of Babel or Babel um, in regards to even today, the archaeology that has been done, um, even up until the uh, 7 and 800s uh, B.C. There are tablets that talk about a tower being built on the base of another tower. And so some people believe, um, which it looks very good archaeological, that um, one of the times that Babylon was destroyed, it was flooded. Uh, the opposing emperor group, uh, dug a humongous canal through the middle of it and flooded it. And so many people believe that the actual base of the Tower of Babel could still be at the bottom of that water. And so, interesting stuff. So, if you'd like more information about that, answers in Genesis. Uh, Ken Ham and the Creation Museum, they have wonderful pages. All right, uh, and I have been reading them for weeks. And if you don't like 35-page articles, there's a four-page article. All right, there's a one-page article. So, whichever page is your level of enjoyment, there you go. So, because I knew someone was going to say, "Well, I don't like to read." There you go. And if you don't like the one page, there's even a video that you can listen to. So. But I encourage you to do that. So, huh? Is there a coloring book? There actually is answers in Genesis coloring books. So, wherever you're at, we have got you covered. So.